Welcome to the Live from Lake Balfour podcast. I'm Maddie Wasserman. Thank you guys for joining us for today's episode. We're doing our first ever listener-submitted mailbag episode. Thank you to all of you out there who submitted questions. We got a lot of great content on tap for today. We're going to be going through the generations and era of camp, getting into Baco basketball, all that good stuff. Greg and Danny, exciting episode coming up today. How you guys doing? I'm pumped. It's good to be back. It's good to see you, Maddie. I'm excited to hear from the listeners. I'm excited to get some questions. A little impromptu script here. I'm pumped. I'm ready to go. Yeah, I'm. Uh, you know, the the thing that makes this podcast great, of course, is our audience. So I'm excited to hear from them. Excited to respond to them and uh, talk about camp. Yeah. So you know, just pull back the curtain here for a second. We have. About five months until camp here, so obviously we have a lot more 30 for 30s coming up and a lot of great content, but we kind of want to take a little pause here, you know, survey what's going on with our listeners, what they want to hear about, so thank you to everyone that sent in questions. So the first one we're going to do here is about USA versus World Soccer, which no matter what era of camp you went to, you know, whether you went to camp in the 80s or as recently as me or whether you're just a little kid coming to camp now, USA versus World Soccer is kind of the one time where you sort of get to see your counselors in action like they're a camper, right? Because, you know, you have Olympic soccer and you have all these fun activities. You have leagues for every kid in camp. But I think what we ultimately see for USA World is a great time when the counselors get to get that competitive spirit and the kids get to cheer on their counselors. So uh, without further ado, this first question here comes from Alessandro uh, Guerrero, who was my counselor in Bunk 23. Great guy. He's from Australia. Might be in Hollywood right now. You know, hard to know. But his question he comes in with is, did Satcher pay the refs in USA versus World Soccer game in 2018 so he could get a penalty? First of all, great question. Uh, as we can see, Alessandro is not over the fact that his world team was humiliated in 2018 USA World, as they have been for many years now. And guys, Danny, you've played on the USA team for a while. What is it about USA World that's so special and gets these counselors who you ordinarily see around camp as refs and organizers and facilitators that like competitive spirit like that? All right, so a few things on USA versus World. But first, a few things on Alessandro. So Alessandro, other than maybe Kerr Smith, who is my counselor in Bunk 18 and who starred on Dawson's Creek, Alessandro might be the best-looking counselor to ever come through camp. It's up there. Right? So, I, don't even, I don't even think that's much of, a, of an opinion. I think that's just a fact. Yes. And he also came to camp as a one-year counselor from Australia, but he was randomly like 25 years old, <laughs> which was atypical. Um now, the other guy in that question, Satcher, who is a diminutive, truck-built, uh, nasty athlete who, when he was in his teens, like his early teens, Greg and I, who were pretty much, you know, in our late 30s, early 40s, we were we were terrified of Satcher. Yeah, right? I still so, am terrified of him. So... When you lay out the characters in the question... Um, it's a loaded question. Know who, who, ...who they're dealing with. But as far as USA versus World, I just want to... Greg, I, I'm interested to what you have to say on this, but USA versus World has taken on a life in the last decade that it didn't have when we were growing up in camp. I think when we were growing up in camp, if you had the right staff involved, it was big... But there was years where it was like not a thing. I think, um, I mean, if my memory serves, I, I think it was more of a gimmick back yes. in the day. And then 
Maybe it even hit a low. I feel like it might have been rained out one or two years. Yeah. You know, we always try and squeeze it in on that one day with like the sailing regatta and, you know, some leagues finals. And there's, um, yeah, I, I mountain think jam I, rehearsal. It's I like, think what, what happened last was. Day? It was one of the many things we had to squeeze in post Olympics, and a lot of times it was not prioritized. In today's Baco, it is happening on Lazy Day every year, no Rain questions asked, and we try to book nothing up against it. Yeah. So, and I give credit to people like Alessandro. If you remember, Alessandro was pumping the USA vs. World game literally all summer long in council. Rooms. All summer long. He was long. making announcements all summer. Yeah, it was like it, still, was, it was still June or early July, pre-visiting day. And he would like, I'd be doing announcements at council ring and he you know, with his thick Australian accent, he, he would, he would, you know, talk about a, a practice for the world team, you know, and, like, and, and we would, you know, all the Americans would say like, whatever, like you're, you know, you're over your last 12. Don't even try. But I mean, when you think about guys like Alessandro that have built this event up and he did it organically, he did it through, you know, announcements of counseling. He didn't even know what he was doing. He, he didn't know what he was doing. That's the but it became the biggest event of the summer. And uh, when I was a kid, there was a counselor of mine named Matt Huffer, who was a British counselor who came a handful of years. I think he was a weird, like he was, he was here, then he left, then he came back for two. He did something similar to Alessandro where he would, I remember it was Huffer's hu Hustlers against like Philly Flipsticks or something. And he, <laughs> he, he left notes at all the tables around the dining room pumping up the game and it was like it had all that buzz but that's because he went out of his way to do it i believe rick weiss scored the game winning goal in that game on a banana kick from the uh from the bunk 17 corner into the goal um you know the corner of the field closest to bunks 17 and rick gave one of those like you know hand in in the air fist twirl kind of like let's go um there's also my, 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 one of my old school memories of that game is is Mitch Center, who's a waiter. Nice. I was going to bring this one up too. Yes. So Mitch Center, <clears throat> super super former super former assistant superintendent of Newark Public Schools, Mitch Center, old friend of mine, great guy. His nickname was Archie. Uh, Scuggage, Scugaccio. He, he was, was on all, He was like a tennis staff. He was soccer staff. He was, he was group leader. He was pioneering group leader. Probably had a little waterfront action. Um, yeah, he's he's, he's a, a, a Baco legend. He was actually my first co-counselor um, when I was a first-year counselor, and I give him a lot of credit for my uh, my like young uh, counselor experiences that that taught me how to be a group leader and whatever. And I'm still close friends with him now. But he was this sort of eccentric, uh, fun kind of athlete, pioneering little guy. And he he was on soccer staff. I believe he Eric Steinert was head soccer and yeah, made some comments that wouldn't let him play in the game and, or something. You know, he didn't he didn't let he didn't let Mitch start. And so Mitch <laughs> Mitch played for the world team and would run around with the flag for the world team and then they started later. No, he was wearing him. shorts. He was wearing shorts that were just the British flag. Yeah, and they were um, labeling him a communist. It was great. <laughs> yeah, so I think those types of events are those types of gimmicks of what made the game over the years. But now those games 
are just always like that. And I think the Joey Hickman, I don't know if you were in camp for that, but Joey Hickman was a counselor in bunk 15 one year and he split his head open during the game. And it was like not a serious injury, but there was a lot of blood. So like the kids thought it was cool. Um, so that was like a snapshot memory that everyone will remember. I know Solomon Levy, you know, got involved with, you know, some dives in the, uh, in, in the penalty box to get some PKs. Well, north of the age of 50. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's also like so. uh it's like a pride thing for these people. Like I remember bunk when I was in bunk twenty two, so it's probably, you know, going back three years now, four years maybe. I had this counselor named Lenny, who, you know, he's a really nice guy, but you know, struggled to fit in for the first few weeks of the summer. But like the place where he really felt he belonged was USA World. And I remember all summer he was talking up USA World. I can't wait to show these Americans. They don't know how to play soccer, whatever. I mean, like the way he talked about how you could play diva, it's like, oh, uh, you would have thought he was like 2008 Tony Allen here. But at the end of the day, he comes on the field and that year, that was probably 2017. Like he just got humiliated and the team, you know, he got scored on a few times, but it's like a point of pride for these you know, foreign counselors, when they come in here, and I think you mentioned that the spirit of it is just one of those things that sort of brings everybody together, but is also this type of thing where they sort of feel like they can have their moment. But I'm trying to think, like, if a bunch of us Americans, like, went to Australia and we're like, like, these people can't play basketball. But, like, at the end of the day, USA I think it does a lot of things. I think, you know, right from the beginning of orientation, the counselors and staff from overseas hear about this game and they start playing on the, on the lower. And I think for one, it gives them a chance to connect with each other, but then the time and we always tell them, listen, you're going to have four or five of the best players on the field, but we're going to have 20 guys and you're going to have seven guys and you're going to have to patchwork the other four. You're going to have a Canadian in goal. That's never played soccer, you know? And, um, and it always seems to work work out that way. But I think when the game is at the end of the summer and we've, you know, had the fake smack talk all su- summer long, whether it be a council ring or, you know, just in our own time, when the game happens and it's over and you did this hard competition, win, lose, draw, whatever, there's always like one of those special handshakes, staff unification moments where it's like everybody's glad that they were just a part of it. And that doesn't even include the fact that everyone in camp is watching and involved. But if you're on the field, it's a really special thing. And it's not just the competition. There's some, like, brotherhood about it. Um, and I haven't played the last few. It gets to the few. point where, the, where the, the secretaries are trying to figure out their schedule to see who's going to be on duty and who isn't. And then i got to figure out, like, yeah. you know what, both of you, both you can go down. Like, I'll carry the cordless. I'll walk around. It's know, a it's really like, special time. And yeah. You know, I played a bunch, you know, when I was a younger counselor, and I played even as an admin. And, you know, I, re- I remember scoring some goals and assisting some goals, like getting really, really into it. And then eventually just, you know, it's always the day, like, the trophies arrive. So I always have to deal with that. But it's, uh, it's also the, the one day that Danny busts out his American flag bandana. Yeah. Classic. Well, no, the 4th of July show, too. Oh, right. But, um, but back to the question about did Satcher pay? Yes, the back to the I initial think, question. I think this is this is one of the most underrated things that happens during the summer. We take the best two waiter soccer players to officiate the game. And this game, for one, they're campers. The players are counselors. 
the players are like overly intense because they haven't played competitive sports in two months. And we're counting on these 16 year olds to, you know, not just keep control of the game, which the counselors do on, on their own, but they have to officiate what is almost always a controversial game. That is the toughest refing gig that I know of. Yeah. It's, um, it's up there. Yeah. Just like the social bit of it, of being the camper to the counselors and having to make these tough calls when people are like for that hour, really intense. So I'm sure it was like Helmer, you know, I'm sure Helmer. Did I'm sure it was. Job. But um, it's an impossible gig. And, and to answer your question, my, my, my response is no, Satcher did not pay the refs. But speaking from a place of fear, just a, a mental position of fear, I love Satcher. I love his whole family. And, you know, I go to bat for that kid any day. But I, I would bet that those refs were terrified of him. Because, I mean, I, I was a grown up at the time and I would have been scared of him. That's the other thing. When you're playing these games, you have like a Joey Hickman or a Simon Warren and all these guys from overseas that are real legit soccer players. Then you look who's on your team and you see you have a Dan Satcher and you feel like, all right, we're going to be just fine, you know, because we have athletes too. Um, But a couple memories of that game, I think Eric Kansky blocking a shot in in, in a shootout. I remember that one. Levy took a dive in the box. I think... um, you know, uh, there's been, I remember Lee, Lee River scoring on a header. There's just been a lot of amazing things on that field. It's just the perfect, just like a lot of these things we've talked about, it's a perfect time of the summer. And it's a really special, special day in camp that wasn't always so special. And it's because of guys like Alessandro and Matt Huffer and Mitch Center and Joey Hickman and Simon Warren. Those guys that made the game something more than, you know, just an hour at rest hour. Yep, for sure. There's always there's always some good missing cleats afterwards. You know, it's a classic. Kids cleats, and then you can't find them. And some chairs left on on the lower. Always. Yeah. Uh, all right, so let's move on to our second question here. Uh, this one comes from Gabe Steiner. Again, thanks to everyone who sent in the questions. He says, "What is your Baco basketball Mount Rushmore?" Uh, Danny. I give you the floor. We kind of touched on this a little bit. We did a version of this, but that was back our first podcast in the quarantine where we were doing some Baco basketball history stuff. But this is more concrete. You're Baco basketball, Matt Rushmore. So, Danny, I give the floor to you. Let's hear it. All right. I'm obviously going to need to hear what Greg has to say, too. I think one of the things about a Mount Rushmore is you got to have some sort of diverse cross-section. It can't just be you know, for the same types of things. So I'm going to try to hit on some different eras here and maybe some different kind of contributors to the courts. Um, I think one, I think the two locks, kind of like the the Washington-Lincoln of this, I think we talked about on the podcast, is Evan Glatzer and Sam Ower. Yeah. Um, I don't think you're going to get any argument. Oh, no, I just want to want to say this is like late 80s on and i know the i know the rob devere's and the mike schumann's and the you know the dave onyx of the world are probably listening but they're like the bob pettit and the george mike and like yeah it's different too too far to compare as much as i know they were great players my memories of them are so i was so young that it might as well be like in my like Moses Malone or I'm gonna I'm not gonna go that far the only reason I'm leaving Onik out is I don't remember Onik specifically I've heard stories plays have been named after him 
apparently he hit a game winner at the buzzer in a home 16s tournament. I mean, that just sounds bonkers, but, um, but I'm going to leave it, uh, away from Onik and Schumann and Rob Devere in that era. I know I'm going to get an email from Rob Devere as to why I didn't address some random that he was a waiter with that did this, that, and the other thing, but whatever. Yeah, I need to carve out so, some time tomorrow. I need to carve out some time after this pond drops to read Jimmy Caretz's underhanded jump shot email about who was good in the late seventies. Yeah. So, all right. So just a real quick thing on Glatzer, just the overall talent and just the dominance and the victories and just the next level, you know, stuff that he did on the courts. I think we went deep in multiple podcasts about it, but I don't think anyone in the history of camp touches that, like even comes close to touching it. Um, his resume, but even more just like his actual talent. I think he's the best to just like walk on the court. Sam Ower, um, probably the most decorated when it comes to just victories and just dominating years above. And once again, he was shaving in bunk nine. He was starting on 16s when he was 13 and he was winning MVP when he was 14. And he, you know, won 14s twice and 13s and 16s a bunch of times. I mean, the guy was just next level winner. Bill Bill Russell um, level. When he was playing, he was the Glatzer of the Adirondacks. He was the guy that old alumni would come back and be like, oh, I hear we have a complete ringer. So those two are locks, right, Greg? Yep. Yep, not a bit. This is where it gets in, it, uh, interesting, where I think you need to get a little diverse. I'm going to go with an amalgam, a combination, a melting of the Wait, three oh. of the three Greenberger that's brothers. That's what I was gonna say, man. Wow, interesting. And that, and that I is, swear that's what I was gonna say. That is Scott Greenberger, waiter of eighty five, Eric Greenberger, waiter of eighty six, Pete Greenberger, waiter of eighty nine. Now their talent speaks I mean, the, Scott and Eric I know won a ton and were incredible ball players. Pete wasn't in as strong of an age group, but was kind of built in the Scott mold of just unbelievable shooter. But I think more so than that, just like they were They're competitive. They're so competitive. But they were like the Manning, what the Mannings are to the NFL. They were to Baco basketball. They were like the first family of Baco basketball. And it sits in camp today with Eli and Jacob and Miles, um, Gideon and, um, it's just, yeah, I mean, they are Baco basketball royalty. And Greg and I at, fam at family camp talked to Eric ad nauseum about his, his, his Baco basketball history, and I couldn't get enough of it. But just, you know, they taught Jenner. They were just, I, I don't know, Greg, you want to talk but it about was, it? Was their, it was their talent, right, Scott's shooting ability. I mean, Danny and I thought that Scott was the 12th man on the Celtics roster in the late 80s. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like we we had heard that. Did have a tryout with the Blazers? Yeah, but then it was their it was their it was not only their ability on the court, but their 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 longevity. I'm a big fan of longevity when it comes to anything, sports, music, camp, whatever. And they you know they all came back to camp to be sixth year counselors. I think Pete missed one year as a counselor, but but uh, they they you know all three of them came back until after they graduated from college. They all were just ballers throughout their Baco careers and their competitive drive. Every counselor game they took seriously. They played every single chance they could, and uh, it seems to me that they were fun to play with too. Uh, maybe to me, a little stressful, but fun to play. With. 
Yeah, to me, they were tone setters for what the vibe on the courts wa- was for my whole career at camp as, as as a camper. I think they set the tone for whatever counselors I had. I'm sure whatever tone there was before that, they brought it to the next level. Eric, when, when Eric was the program director and when he was my counselor in 92, he, he was writing the schedule. He would leave all the, the ball players off six periods. Periods they can play counselor ball six period religiously, like pretty much daily, and that was just the culture, you know. And that's that's those 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 guys are uh, those guys are on my Rushmore too as an amount. Yep, for sure. All right, so we kind of cheated on the third one, the Greenbergers, but we'll add them to the Mount Rushmore along with Evan Glatzer, Sammy Hour. So now I think it gets really tough because, you know, you guys were sort of on the same page with the third one, but what do we think for the fourth one that goes here on this Mount Rushmore? Uh, I mean, I'm torn between two guys. Um, I know I can only pick one. So my honorable mention guy is Jake Ower. And the only reason he's not on there, with I, I thought it was a little weird to have an amalgam of three brothers and then two other brothers separate. I, that doesn't <laughs> make sense. Point. Yeah. But Jake Ower, just for the record, he was Shaquille. After he was, like, growing and he was, like, 14, 15, 16 years old, he was like Shaquille O'Neal. He was the, just the, a dominant force. And but, it um, was happening during the best Shaq years, too. Yeah, so he was, yeah. Like, almost kind of, like, acted like Shaq, too. He was, like, so fun and got along with everybody. And he, he had a little he, – he was probably, like – He was apparently. probably so – he was probably so fun to play with because he was a gigantic post-presence, but he was the best passer in camp. And he had unbelievable hands and unbelievable touch. And he was just so fun – to have on your team because I mean we he was the biggest kid on the court yeah always, and he was just such, he was also just yeah. such a great kid he's such a great camper I had him a bunch of times he made his free throws he was yeah. so maybe he was, yeah. maybe the more apt comparison would be like Arvidas Sabonis back when he was in Europe no yeah, but, like, with, but like with with comparatively good body odor probably too <laughs> <laughs> but, um so yeah, Jake, no, Jake is I'm, my honorable mention but, but but my guy is my I think my guy is Dan Devere um just a a total winner, um, sort of like a Magic Johnson, handled the ball well, passer, scored so intense, unbelievable teammate, um, great attitude, had a hair summer late in his career, uh, so like one summer he was rocking long hair, um, and it, he was just uh, that like fourth guy on the, on the Rushmore that was, you know, a five-tool player kind of, kind of guy. He was my roommate after, after he graduated college, so a little bit of nepotism there. Yeah, I I agree with Greg. I think if you're, you know, the thing with the Rushmore, like I said at the beginning, it's not always just the four most decorated guys. It's you got to have a little bit of diversity in there. And I'm going to go with Dan Devere also um, for a lot of the reasons Greg said. But I think also the one thing Dan Devere did that, you know, Glatzer and Sam didn't do is, you know, Danny also brought it as a counselor on the staff and pumped, you know, unbelievable Baco pride in, in, into the courts as a kid and as a counselor. And he, of all the guys was probably had the greatest impact on the psyche of his teammates. He just, I mean, talk about a guy that instills confidence with unbelievable leadership. And he did it when he was young. He did it when he was a waiter and he did it as a counselor. And he just, he must've been unbelievable to play with. And I think, although he kind of ran in the same era as Sam, um, I think uh, I think he deserves that spot. He kind of does it in a different way than the other than the other guys. So, and I, I would also just give a little um, suggestion to all the listeners out there. 
uh, whether you are a funhouse kid or an old alumni uh, parent, you know, anybody who listens to that, to live from Lake Balfour, all the, I guess, six people on our Rushmore, all of them are great guys. And so if you get a chance to meet them at the bazaar someday or visiting day someday or at the buses or, you know, whatever, at any point in the next few decades as you continue on with your camp career, get to know those guys. They're all such good dudes um, on and off the court, which I don't think is a coincidence. Yep. All right. So now the question, this is not, not a mailbag question, but my question on top of this. Who, when this podcast drops, are you going to get the angry email from that they were not included on this list? And what is your defense for not putting them on Rushmore? I could say a David Baruch has every right to not just, so we're talking about this era. Baruch did all these things. He was an unbelievable athlete, unbelievable teammate, won his own age and age groups above, and he was so dominant throughout his camp career and he had like the accolades to back it up i think he was just such an amazing athlete all around camp that maybe that takes away from like his basketball part but i think as far as from a straight up basketball standpoint barouche is in this mix but i just don't he doesn't carry that rush more extra and a lot of it might be because he was in a bunk with other good basketball players but i think barouche from straight up on paper has a gripe. Uh, I think. Well, I Jay, think we're, we're gonna get we're gonna get emails from people that don't have legit gripes. Like, the, I mean, yeah, there's that whole I late think 90s Goer, era of waiters that are yeah, gonna kill us I, they'll ask for Josh Lemer. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, think I think those late 80s waiters are gonna ask about you know. I think Onik. They'll push Onik. They'll push. Uh, I think Jake Owers got a legit gripe. I think. Um, and we're, uh, you know, Danny and I uh, communicate with Ryan Petro Drazen a lot. We'll, we'll, he'll, he'll he'll complain, but he has no reason to. Right, he's on the twelve man roster, maybe, but he's not on the Rushmore. Wow, twelve man roster, maybe throwing some shade. All right, so now we're going to transition to another question that comes in from Salty here, uh, who's the current camper at camp, and he has a pretty similar question. He asks, "What's the best waiter year ever at?" um basketball now i go ahead Maddie. like i think this is a great question because we just talked about the individual players that are the best but like waiter bunks is a great question because it's not about errors because right because you know like someone like glatzer played or sammy Ori, right you're playing with guys when you're 13 or starting 16 like that's an error we're saying individual years of talent and like that's a very different question. So one-year talent, what do you guys think here for this one? I have a pretty – I think there's a few that are in the running, but I think there's one clear answer. Um, Greg, you want to give your answer first? You want me to take this one? Uh, I want you to take it. That, All right. So I, I, just, I think but, – but, 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 Hold on a second. Before we go into, like, actual specific years, I want the audience to understand that this is a, a little bit of a loaded question uh, because – I don't know about a loaded question, but it's sort of like asking about – who's the best baseball player of all time when you can compare like when the mound was lowered and the, you know, steroid era and, you know, integrated league. Like there's all these different eras uh, of, of sports. And I just want to be clear that in the late eighties or the mid to late eighties, people at camp were taller. 
They were just taller. Like there was multiple people over six feet in every waiter bunk in those late eighties years. And I don't know, maybe it's just my memories telling me that and it's not accurate, but I know the waiters of 87 had at least like, or maybe you, know, you were just, or maybe you were two. just younger. So you thought they were taller. I, I, I yeah, they were taller, man. They were bolder. I, they I were agreed taller. with what you were saying until you started saying this. I think kids are, I mean, have you seen the waiters of 06? All those guys are the lankiest dudes I've ever met. I, I yeah. Like yeah. And what was that one waiter bunk that always wore those white tank tops? Uh, it's just different know. stuff. Uh, in the water. Yeah. I, I if think you, if you, if you do a graph of when Baco's counts, Baco campers were taller, I think it, it it is correlated directly to when we stopped using lake water as drinking water and went into well water. It might be true. I don't know. We should do a 30 for 30 on that. Yeah, no, I I don't think the – I think just the waiters of 87 were just a big – had a lot of big guys. All right, so my answer, I think people are going to say the waiters of 87 just because they were so deep and had – you know, Josh Raskin and Fred Gabler and Mike Levine and Rick Weiss and Eric Steinert and a bunch of them got on basketball staff. And I'm sure they were great, but I know they didn't win much as campers, especially when they were older. So I think they're in the mix, but they're not in it. I think uh, I think the 2012s had a good reputation when they were growing up. Once again, they were I think one thing they had is they had a lot of guys that can play like they can. That bunk, I remember, all throughout their camp career would just play pickup games all the time, whether it was three-on-three, five-on-five, four-on-four. You could get any collection of the 25 of them, and they could just ball. Um, obviously, some were really good A players, some were really good B players. But, but that that, that waiter bunk in that, like, era, just to talk about eras for another sec, has a very, like, Stockton Malone Utah vibe in terms of like it was a great it was a great group they had a lot of talent there but they just ran to some great teams great competition yeah, I, I, so they don't have the accolades but they deserve a mention the same way you know I think they deserve a mention because I'll say it again no waiter bunk no no age group in my years at camp do I ever remember being gym rats like these guys these guys were always playing and they had really good players ethan canner ben schumann gross river shadow were the ones that get like the pub you had like vardaro and you, you even like the ethan clausers and brad wolf's like could get out there and play you know um so i think they deserve to be mentioned i think the oh eights are a pretty close because they had that big three of Zach Emden and Liddy and Baruch, and they won a ton. But I think, for me, the clear winner is the 2004s. I think with Alex Canner, Jimmy Glazer, Pudge DeVere, Steve Summer, John Salzburg, the Spiro Twins. They could feel like a sports and still win. Yeah, they were so deep and so talented, and they won a ton of tournaments, they, a bunch of them were basketball staff and crushed it on staff and were really good players when they were on staff. I play with a lot of them still. Um, as far as depth, talent, accolades, history, I think, I mean, I remember their last game as waiters putting on a show on the courts and everyone's like, oh, they're going to dominate counter ball. And they were like, nobody played center and they were just position. They were the original positionless basketball. Ahead of their they time. Just they just, everybody could rebound and push and they just ran the floor and everybody was super athletic and had good size and good speed. And it was, 
I think they are headed when you go to depth, I think it's not even close with them and any other bunk. Um, but I think those other bunks that I mentioned deserve like, you know, some notice. So it's interesting. You put so you put the depth there ahead of the fact that like you're you're putting that ahead of the fact that even though no one from that waiter bunk was made the Mount Rushmore, you're still saying over the I think uh, once again the Rushmore um doesn't necessarily mean that I think Alex Kanner is right in that Baruch thing where he's won a ton and he started in multiple years and all that, but just he was in a waiter bunk with so many ballers that he didn't stand out. You know, it's like um, it's kind of what happened with Baruch, why he's not on the rush more. I just think this bunk, the depth is just like the icing on, on the cake. They can play a five on five game that no other waiter bunk could touch. Right? Greg? I agree with Danny on that. It's got to be the old fours, but. <clears throat> This is more a data category, obviously. So I'm just going to give a little shout. I, I, I like my 94 team with uh, Adam Rask in the middle and Chris Georges playing the, the, the – No, no bias at all forward. there. Uncle Josh Farben at the three and uh, like some Corey Springer. At the you two and Odie and Dratch and Springer, yeah. yeah. But I mean the 04 is like their eighth man was like a bouncy 6'3 lefty that can like start – you know, on his high school team, you know, it was like, it was, the old fours were great. They were great. It was a special great kids too. Yeah. All right. So now let's get to our last question here that we're going to hit for today. Listen, we we're getting through these here. Um, this one comes in here from Sammy Zara. He says, what is your favorite Baco sports moment in recent history can be tournaments or Olympics? Thanks again. Another great question here. Um, now obviously that was, that was from Sammy the bull. Yeah. So now, obviously, we've already elected to do our first ever 30 for 30 podcast, which we did a few months back, which you can find in the archives, about the Ginzy game, which was 2017. So I think for all of us, we would say that's pretty high on the list. But So we're not going to talk about that one. We're not going to talk about that one because that's a classic game. So for you guys, at least, what else do you see as just a classic Baco game? Because I think, you know, for all of us, like, there's some games you really can just picture over time. So what do you guys think there? I think there's some elements of these games that you could get kind of mixed up as to which one was which. Especially so, with Olympics. Well, like, you find, like, before, oh, was that that year? Was it, like... Yeah, before... And usually I can pick out what was what, but before I get into, like, a specific game, I think some of the elements that make these are the Chiefs basketball game second period that runs four overtimes, that runs into lunch, and, you know, the waiters' counselors are yelling for the waiters to get to the dining room, but everybody's on the hill watching the game, and the whole camp's watching or the evening activity leagues game that it's an intermediate leagues game that goes to triple overtime on the middle court where everyone's commuting to milk call and ends up surrounding the court. You know, we, we've all seen those games. Uh, chief, soccer. The, chief, chief soccer is to be really good. Or the, the, the tennis match, you know, the tournament tennis match that all of a sudden, you know, has a hundred kids watching, um, I think those are the elements that you're looking for, kind of like those matches that start as one thing but become whole camp events. Um, I think uh, as far as nailing a specific one, I'm interested what you guys have have to say first. All right, so I want to give a special shout-out here to some games that are a little less obvious. 
the greatest ending I have ever seen in a Baco game comes from probably two years ago during Olympics in B basketball, because, you know, that's just where I ride B basketball, um, is Zach Appel hit the most insane shot. And, you know, it's the type of game not one person is watching, right? Not a single person, you know, the two refs, ten, ten players, but maybe you Five each up in the Superdome. Not a person watching. And the game goes down to the wire. And it was one of those insane finishes where it was like one second left. We were down two points. And he in, and we inbound the ball from the top. And he chucks up a half-court prayer. And he just banks it in. And I can still picture it. And we all ran in circles around the court. And it was like the most bizarre thing. Because like those B basketball games can be like pretty obscure. You know, no one's watching. No one cares. You're like, I'm in the middle of the Superdome, like, playing with a bunch of scrubs. You know, like, there's no subs. It's like a whole mess. And I just remember that one. He hit this incredible, like, half-court buzzer beater that, like, was, like, a Sports Center top 10 level moment. But it happened in this most obscure setting. So that's that's an honorable mention for me. But I think what I think of, and this actually comes in a loss. Um, the moment I most think of was the Jake Rubin game in the 16th night game against Brant Lake, where he was unconscious. Oh, Jake Cohen's went in and out at the buzzer. Yes, where yeah. Jake Rubin just went unconscious um, from three. And it was like, that was like a David versus Goliath type game because we talked about when we did back at the Ginzey game, we talked about how that was kind of the birth of a new era. And this was the year before that. So at that point, it was kind of the type of thing where it was still, can Baco pull the big upset? Like that was well before, that was a full calendar year before the tide completely turned. And that was like, you have the... March Madness 14 versus 3 game, and you have some feisty guard from the 14 seed raining in shots on Duke. It was like that kind of vibe. And I just remember that, that game. That Jake Cohen shot banked in, the dance oh. party that would have ensued on that court would have That would have made like that, that would have been, we would have done that 30 for 30 in a heartbeat. Uh, that was an, inc- but even though we lost that game, I just remember the energy from that game. That was just an insane moment for me because that was before the prolonged period of success, before we won 16s back-to-back years, before all that stuff. And there's some element of nostalgia I have for being the underdog team. And, like, obviously I want Baker to win the games. But there's definitely some, like, inherent part of me that, like, loves, like, Baco, the feisty underdog, like, here we come. That's, like, a part of me that, like, I feel like that's part of Baco's identity and what we are. And being the, obviously being the best team is something that's great and going to Timberlake and whatever. But there's something about that game and I think of being the underdog and pulling it off on the road that's just has that special feeling to me. And I love that game. I'm going to. I'm going to take this one in another direction. I'm going to need a little help from Danny on this. But, Danny, am I right in saying that the 2019 Junior Baseball League's World Series was, like, an absolute I think like, it was, yeah, nail by yeah. Yeah, like they it were was down. like the first yeah. team. The first team came out and scored a million runs. And the next team came back and went up by a million. And the next, and the first team came back and then, and then it was it was won by by a young man. I don't know if we're allowed to talk about campers' names, but over five and was like not making any hits, and he ended up getting on base, and then yeah. At, at he the came end, back like, from like seven down. Yeah, the he, he like either stole home or basically he basically intimidated the other team into like sub, like just submitting to to yeah. 
it was it was it was a flip i, I don't know it was a real happened, and, but... you know the, the junior baseball league's world series is a highlight of the summer you know with the announcing and the you know the freeze dance contest and the national anthem mickey throwing out the first pitch and all that stuff but that game in 2019 was was pretty incredible i think i'm gonna mention a couple I would love I would love to go deep on the Jason Grossberg Dave Plazak eighty nine senior division uh, tennis championship match, which could be a thirty for thirty in itself. But I'm going to save that for another day. Let me just um, also say that Danny and I have been talking about discussing that match on a thirty for thirty pod for for a, a year. All right. Well, we it's, want to do it. Yeah, all right. We well, we can that. do it. So stay tuned. Stay, we'll stay tuned. I think I think all of these could be, but a couple I'm going to mention. Um, there was a 13 soccer win with Josh Levine as a 12 year old. Josh Levine ended up playing goalie for Penn State, and we were playing against a team that was way bigger and older than us. And we had no business beating them. And we somehow got into a shootout. And Josh Levine saved five unbelievable penalty kicks to start, like, our little 13 soccer run. I think anybody who was in camp for that, for Josh Levine, would remember that. I think the other two I'm going to mention is, once again, 30 for 30s could be done on both of these. And I'm sure people from both of these games will text me and be like, oh, how come you didn't go deeper? first one is the 2011 15s when Lee River, Gross, Canner, Schumann, Shadow were 15 years old. These guys played literally the perfect basketball game at the time when we needed it, and we won by one, and it was like, it was at racket, but it was against Brandt, and it was one of those, like, everything... was perfect like everything fell exactly the way it should have and it was like all stars aligning but it wasn't lucky it was like we just played our best um can i just digress can i just digress for one second and ask a more basic question for someone from my era because you know now we don't really go we don't go to 15s anymore it's not like a thing at camp is 15s even then like sort of a forgotten tournament? Because you know you have the 16-year-olds, obviously the Echo tournament, and you have the night game and 14s, obviously it's at Baco. Like, is it because of my era? 15s hasn't been a thing. Like, was it a big no, thing? Like, what's so the deal with that? Fi- 15s once again could also be a 30 for 30. Has taken on all sorts of forms over the years. The 15s tournament at Racket that year meant something. Um. And I'm telling you right now, I've never seen a Baco team, like, put it all together for, like, one shining moment like those guys did. Like, jumpers were all falling. Everybody, I've never seen a team more locked in. Like, that's a phrase, locked in. They were so locked in. It was insane. Um, But the last one I'm going to mention is the 2018 16s finals were losing to Brant by nine with three minutes and went on a 16-0 run to win it. Like, that's the that game. stuff doesn't yep. happen. And that was Glatzer, FEMA, Yo-Yo, Kasher, Harold, Rab. Um, Great, an all-time but, team. Once again, a 30 for 30. Uh, so I know, Sammy Z, I'm sorry to give you more than one, but uh, I'd be happy to talk with you about all of them. Little, so. a, a little side note about Sammy Z. He just submitted his uh, Bake O'Meal's Madness bracket to me today, or yesterday maybe. The man appreciates a good pierogi. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, we, we've been uh, discussing for some time now doing a um, 
Bako food related podcast. So, you know, we'll see if we can get that in at some point. We have a lot of ideas for podcasts. So, thank you guys as the listeners for all giving us some here and giving us a lot of stuff here to talk about. And I, I think. Want more. I yeah, Maddie, can we do another mailbag? Let's get we can guys. do another send one. In more, send in more questions. They don't have to be sports related. Ask about. Yeah. Ask about all sorts of stuff like why are the why are the why is the gravel bigger over by the gazebo than it is down by Bulgate? Yes, any level of question, that. whether it's as random I mean, and I petty love as talking hoops, but I don't have to. I you know I could talk about milk and cookies too. You know. Yeah, we're we're listen. We have a diverse portfolio here on the Live from Lake Balfour podcast. We, you know, we can go in any direction. So thank you guys for sending in questions, and Greg and Danny, as always, thank you guys for doing this Looking podcast. To the next one. Thanks, Maddie. Yep, and right. thank you guys for listening to this week's episode. We will be back hopefully soon with maybe some more listener submitted mail. I know we have a couple 30 for 30s. We're waiting to break out come springtime. So thank you guys as always for listening. I'm Maddie Wasserman, and we will see you next time on the Live from Lake Balfour podcast.